John chapter 3. We're going to read the first eight verses of John chapter 3. And I want to kind of enter into a part two of my Sunday morning sermon that I preached. Be talking about people being led by the Spirit. I want to minister a message I've entitled, Being a People of the Spirit. You know, I think most of us believe and understand that we must have the Spirit of God operating in our church and in our lives or we will accomplish nothing for God. God spoke to Zechariah when he was rebuilding the temple. And he says uh, in Zechariah 4, 6, So he answered and said to me, This is the word to the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And he says, it's not going to be your physical work, just your physical work on the temple. It's not going to be your own strength. He says, uh, this temple will be rebuilt uh, not only with physical strength, but by the power of my spirit. You know, in other words, I have to be involved in this. If this is going to be successful, if I'm going to restore my glory to my house, uh, he says, I have to be involved in this by my spirit. The Bible says in Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You know, I get concerned about our country at times who thinks that because of our great military, you know, that we're going to be able to just fight off anything. Listen, unless God, unless God watches the city, Unless, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who do it. Unless, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It doesn't matter how big your military is. So we need God. We need God in our, in our country. We need God in our personal lives. We need God corporately in our church. That he would have a habitation in the house of God and do his work within our midst. And let's go ahead and read John chapter 3. Very familiar portion of Scripture. Most of you uh, know this portion of Scripture. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want to begin tonight and just talk about the mystery of the Spirit and key there on verse 8 where that I just read. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, you can see wind blowing through the trees. You can see the trees bending. 
I was sitting in my living room yesterday, and there was breeze going, and these tall trees across the street, you could just see them swaying back and forth. I couldn't see the wind, but I could see the effects of the wind upon the trees. I could see them being moved. And Jesus said, this is like the moving of the Spirit, that God moves in unique ways. And we can't tell always where he's coming from or where he's going or who he's going to touch. You can see the influence of the Spirit of God upon somebody's life. You can see God moving upon somebody. Can you see around them the angels? All they do? No, you can't see that. But you can see the influence uh, like the wind blowing a tree and moving it around. You can see the influence of the Spirit of God moving in a person's life. People have been saved in remarkable ways and in remarkable places. We can't predict how people are going to get saved. People get saved in such unique ways and such unique circumstances. I, I was remembering just different stories about many Muslims who have been saved. And I read an article out of the Gospel Coalition. It says, in 2007... Dudley Woodbury and others published a study that recounted interviews with 750 former Muslims who had converted to evangelical Christianity. Many of the reasons they gave for their conversion would be expected, the love of God, a changing view of the Bible, and an attraction to Christians who loved others. But one reason might come as a surprise, the experience of a dream they believed to be from God. These study results aren't isolated. Mission Frontiers magazine has reported that out of 600 Muslim converts, 25% experienced a dream that led to their conversion. And so that's the moving of the Spirit. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone. You know, God moves in unique ways and unique circumstances. You can't... You can't actually see what he's doing, but you see the influence of what he's doing. And that's a fulfillment of Acts chapter 2. Your old men shall dream dreams, you know. Your young men shall have visions. And so uh, there's something about God moving by his spirit. He does it in a unique way, and sometimes it's random. We can't always tell what he's doing. We don't have God all figured out. People here, you can point to a remarkable way that Jesus Christ entered into your life. It was a unique set of circumstances. Maybe somebody witnessed to you here. Maybe you worked with somebody. Maybe you were a neighbor of somebody. Uh, maybe somebody, you know, witnessed to you somehow. And you can look at your own unique set of circumstances, how, how the wind of the Spirit of God began to blow through your life. But what we need is we need the Spirit of God involved in our evangelism. You know, I mentioned Sunday morning, Acts chapter 8, Philip, where he, uh, where he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says in Acts 8, 30 and 31, So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. God sovereignly sends Philip to someone he's already dealing with, and he's already converted. You know, God, the Spirit of God moved Philip to join, that, to join that chariot. The Spirit of God spoke to him to do that. You know, Jesus' revolution, the movie we just saw a while back. Nobody predicted 
a bunch of hippies getting saved. Nobody said that. Said, you know, Matt, you know, I think I know what's going to happen. All these hippies are going to get saved. They're all going to come into church, and they're all going to start preaching the gospel, and they're all going to start, you know. Nobody predicted that. As a matter of fact, if you, if you see the movie, if you see other documentaries, Chuck Smith didn't think they could get saved until they started coming in his church. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. In our text, Jesus said we can't figure out when and where God's going to move. But it is orchestrated by the Spirit. God moves many ways, and, and he appears to us uh, uh, orthodox. He appears, he appears to us unorthodox uh, in the way he moves. He knows what he's doing, but we don't always get it or understand it. Even the way God uses people can appear unorthodox. How many of you know, God is, you can't put God in a box. People have different gifts, and God uses, you know, people think, well, God can only use this person. This is how God moves. You start doing that, and you're going to really miss God. The Bible talks about Paul in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. It says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. It says God worked unusual miracles. In other words, this wasn't, this wasn't uh, orthodox miracles. This, this was out of the ordinary. Hey, this is a different way that God was using Paul. His handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to heal the sick. He's like, oh, I know what we should do. We should start, start taking our aprons and stuff. And, you know, and so just be perfect uh, for some kind of TV evangelist to do that, get up there and say, okay, we're going to start giving our, you know, our jacket, our shirts away, and you're going to get healed. No, it's just, it's just some way God moved through his life. We don't have to fit in some type of box for God to use our lives. Isn't that good? We all have different personalities. You can't say this is what a pastor is. This is what an evangelist is. This is what this person is. We all have unique gifting. I've seen people miss God in their lives because somebody was unique in their presentation of the gospel. Oh, wait, that, no, God can't move like that. He's, he's a little weird. He's a little different, you know. He's a little strange. And they totally cast out the message that's being preached. The wind of God's spirit moving is often described as the breath of God. I believe that's what Jesus is saying there in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus spoke to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. In John chapter 20, verses 21 to 22, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed upon them. One of the things I pray for this church is I say, God, breathe upon our church. There's an old Keith Green song, Rushing wind blow through your temple. Man, that's, that's just, I remember that getting saved and that old Keith Green song. It's a powerful song. Rushing wind blow through your temple. 
God, we need your spirit to, 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 and he's talking about his personal temple, that God would, the spirit of God would carry out sin and darkness out of his life, would blow out the dust and the deadness and the flesh out of his life, and, and that he would be spirit controlled and be spirit ruled. One of Job's dialogues with God when he was going through his trials was this interaction, Job 37, 10 through 18. And so just kind of understand where I'm going with this. He says, by the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick, the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced? Deals wondrous, wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Why are your garments hot when he quiets the earth by the south wind? With him, have you spread out the skies strong as a cast metal mirror? And so what he's saying is, Job, you can't figure out what, what God's doing. You can't figure out how God moves. You can't figure out, you know, we don't have God all figured out. We don't know. Part of, part of the way God moves is a mystery. It's not, Jesus said, it blows where it wants to, that God has a plan that many times we can't see. But my next point, which I kind of want to point to, is that positioning ourselves to receive the moving of the Spirit. Because there's part of this that isn't a mystery. And this is kind of more setting our sails. Somebody said years ago, we cannot make the wind of the Spirit blow in our midst, whether personally or in the church, but we can lift a sail that when the wind blows, we will be ready to catch it. And so what that's saying is that we can't control where God moves and what he does, but we can position ourselves that if God does move, we can catch that. Example, you can be on a boat in the ocean with no wind blowing. You can be stuck in one place for a long period of time. But if the wind begins to blow, you better have your sail up or you're not going to go anywhere. And I think that's the position of the church that needs to have is that, God, we can't make you move. We can't control what you're doing. But, God, we can put ourselves in a position that as your wind would begin to blow, we can catch that wave. We can catch that, uh, that gust, amen, and it can drive us to wherever you would have us. See, while there is some mystery to the moving of God's Spirit, much of it is not a mystery. You know, if we position ourselves to receive from God, He is faithful to show up. If you're hungry before, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so if you have a posture of hunger and thirst, if you have a posture of looking to God, he comes to those people. He says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. That's the promise of his word. 
So there's a part of revival that's not a mystery. There's a part of moving of God's spirit that's not a mystery that we don't that we do have figured out. Another instance is where Jesus appeared to the disciples after rising from the dead in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so Jesus is telling them, Hey, something's about to happen. Revival's coming. But you need to be in the right place when it comes. You need to be in a position to receive it. And then this happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so, why did they receive the outpouring of God's Spirit? Why did they, why is this suddenly? There was, there was, it came from heaven, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. It just, God just poured out his spirit. But they were in the place where Jesus told them to be. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until you're filled with the spirit. And it says, as they were gathered together, they're waiting. They're, they're depending upon, okay, Jesus said, hang out here until, until he does something. And so they, I'm sure they didn't know what the filling of the Holy Spirit was. They had no idea about how God was going to move, how the Spirit was going to blow through. But they were in the place where God told them to be. And as a result, they received the blessing of the Spirit. I, it's very interesting timing, and just, I, I had started putting it yesterday, I was working on my Wednesday night sermon, you know, tonight's sermon, and I sat down and started writing a different sermon, and, and it just like, I got like about 20 minutes into it, and God said, no, that's not it, and very frustrating for a preacher, I'll tell you that right now. But anyway, I just, I just felt, I actually had a conversation, long conversation with Pastor Frank Luna. And, uh, and we were just telling different things. And, and then God just began to stir me about, about just the way God moves. And it really wasn't part of our conversation in general. But it was just something God just began to, to stir upon me to continue on the thought from Sunday morning. And how we need to be a spirit-led people. And just that thing, just some things begin to gel. But I, I sat down, began to write this sermon out. And after I was pretty much done with most of it, uh, most of it, uh, uh, this morning, I, I listen, as many of you know, I listen to Audible uh, books, I also read books, by the way, uh, it's, it's not, it's not, that's not my only ingestion of material, you know, so I read devotionals and books and different things all the time, but I've been listening to the Audible book by Jim Simbala, pastor of the Brooklyn, Ta- Brooklyn Tabernacle called Fanning the Flame, and so right after I get done writing this, um, he says, he, this is, this, I'm at the end of the book, and he said, I want to draw your attention to the fact, and he's talking about Acts, this, this scripture, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 
And he actually brought up Acts chapter 1, the one I read, how Jesus told them to stay there, how they experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is after I had this all written out, I swear, I promise. Uh, and so, uh, but it's one of those things that God just kind of gave me that confirmation. Hey, you're on the right track here. You're going to be all right. He says, I want to draw your attention to the fact that a sound of a mighty wind came from heaven. The blessing, the fulfillment of the promise Jesus made, the manifestations that ensued, it all happened because something came from heaven. It wasn't man-made. It was something supernatural from God. The Christian church was born not by human effort, talent, or intellect. It gained its impetus from Almighty God. Peter's sermon that followed and the resulting harvest of 3,000 converts all began with God sending something from heaven. Can we all agree on this fact? Can we all not agree on this fact? Every church in America needs a fresh infusion of what gave birth to the Christian church in the first place, something from heaven. And that's what I'm talking about tonight, very simply, is that we need something from heaven in everything that we do. We need something from heaven in our church services. We need something from heaven in our music night. We need something from heaven on our outreaches. We need something from heaven in everything that we do for God or we're going to miss out. And I'm not saying that's not there. I believe that's already there. But I'm saying we should never lose that dependence. I'm not saying that, that this is a problem, you know, that we're not, we're not entering into this. But I'm saying this needs to be our focal point, that we need to be dependent upon the Spirit of God from heaven to move in our midst. Years ago, a pastor said something that always stuck, stuck with me. He said, we cannot force God to move. But we can create an environment where if God wanted to move, he could. We cannot force God to move. But we can create an environment where if God wanted to move, he could. You know, how many of you know there are spiritual environments that make it difficult for God to move? In Matthew 13, verses 54 and 58, I, want to, I don't want to read the whole passage, but it said, when he had come to his own country, talking about Jesus, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? And then they said, is this not the carpenter's son? You know, didn't we grow up with him? And the end of that, in verse 58, says, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. There was an environment that resisted him working. There was an environment of unbelief, a lack of faith that prevented him from moving in their midst. And so Jesus is attracted to faith. Jesus is attracted to those who are hungering and thirsting after him. And so the moving of the Spirit, yes, part of it is a mystery. Why does God pour out of his Spirit on a bunch of hippies? Why does God, you know, give dreams to Muslims? Why does God do this? I can't tell you all that's going on there, but I will tell you that God is attracted to those who are hungry and thirsty for him. One lesson from this is that Jesus moves in an atmosphere of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to, to believe God, to, uh, to please God. And so this means that in faith, you're believing the Spirit of God to show up. I mean, you know, we don't always feel the Spirit of God. 
when we're entering into something, whether it's an outreach, a church service, we're not, we're not always going with like, man, I just, I just feel the spirit, man. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just all pumped up today. Now, sometimes you can feel like that, but sometimes you don't feel like that. Sometimes it's faith. We don't always go on outreach. How many know sometimes those first couple doors are like, I always, always explain it's like, like priming a carburetor. Sometimes the first couple doors I knock on, it's not too good for those people. Amen. It's, uh, it's like I have to get going. It's like you got to prime. You, you, in old days, cars had carburetors. You ran out of gas. You had to take the air cleaner off. You had to pour some gas in the carburetor and get the car going. And so that's what it's kind of like for me sometimes going on outreach, man. First couple doors, I'm like struggling. Then I can kind of get going and, you know, get my motor running and, and it gets a lot better. So sometimes I feel sorry for those first couple of people, you know. Hey, I want to invite you to church. Oh, I'm busy. Okay, I'll see you later. You know, <laughs> Go on the next door. I got no time for you. Hey, we're all, we all have that, you know, to a degree. But we need to have a spirit of faith. It's a spirit of God is going to meet us. That God's going to give us divine appointments. That God's going God's to go before us into the land. Ecclesiastes 11, 4 through 6 says, He who observes the wind will not sow. What, listen, in the light of what we're talking about, the wind of God's spirit, Jesus said the wind blows where it wishes. In other words, if you don't see the wind blowing, oh, why should I sow, you know? Why should I sow? There's no wind. Or, or you know, the, whatever. He observes the wind. If you're dependent upon what you see, you're not going to enter into anything. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And the evening, do not withhold your hand for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that or whether both alike will be good. And so he's saying, hey, look, you're not always going to feel things. It's not always going to be emotions riding high. He said, but you're, you're believing when you're stepping out and doing the will of God, you're believing for the Spirit of God to encounter you. When, whatever you're doing by faith, you're believing the Spirit of God to show up, to bring conviction to people's lives, uh, to bring open doors, to bring divine appointments that we desperately need. See, the, big, the beginning of the revival in the book of Acts was because it says they were all with one accord in one place. Well, that's a miracle right there. Huh? I mean, you know, just that they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. So what are some things we can do to set our sails for God's spirit? One of them is we should not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so the New Living Translation says, where it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, says do not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way you live. And so creating an environment in our lives for the Holy Spirit's welcome, a forgiving heart to other people. It says they were one accord, one place. That's talking about 
you know, having good relationships in the body of Christ. I know this is a challenge, but sometimes those are the kind of things that prevent the Spirit of God moving. Another thing we can do in a, to create a spiritual environment is to value the moving of God's Spirit in the realm of spiritual gifts. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-21, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. The New English translation says, do not extinguish the Spirit. Don't be a wet towel on the fire of God. Now, does that mean that we believe everything that comes across the pipe? No, Paul's saying, yeah, let, me, let, me, let me read it again. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. So what is he saying? Is, you know, hey, you know, sometimes you hear somebody get a word and say, man, I don't know about that word. That was a little weird. But it says, test it. Test it. Hold fast what's good. But he says, don't despise prophecy because somebody was off at one time. Because somebody got a little weird. I mean, we're all flawed. We're all earthen vessels, okay? None of us are, none of us are the Pope, okay? And we're not, we're not, we don't you know, speak with perfection. What the Pope thinks he is, anyway. But it's saying, don't despise prophecies because somebody was off a little bit. That's what he's saying there. It says, do not despise prophecies. Test all things and hold fast what's... In other words... Hey, take, 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 take what's good out of it. Hold what's good. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't just say, oh, that prophecy stuff, man. That guy got weird. See, that's why I don't like prophecies, you know. Well, hey, Bible says don't, don't quench the spirit because, because, you know, you believe that prophecies are bad because somebody got a weird word at one time. Okay. Finally, tonight I want to look at the spirit is able to restore. Never underestimate the power of God's Spirit to resurrect people from total destruction and horrible, horrible decisions made in their lives. Romans 8.11 says, But the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And so if the spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead, rose him from the grave and the dead, what can he do with us in our horrible circumstances? And one of the things that I wanted to focus on, just the last part of a message, this is really the last uh, part of it, is the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. It's such a perfect fitting thing to look at as we end this message in Ezekiel 37 1 through 10 it says and the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones then he caused me to pass by them all around behold there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry and so he said you know this is a defeated army these bones have been, they're not just like, you know, with a bit of meat hanging. They're very, everything's been eaten off of them. And he said to me, son of man, and these bones live. 
So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews upon you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now here is, you can't get more defeated than this. Dry bones scattered. They're not even linked together with the right bodies. You know, they've been probably carried around by wild animals and stuff. You got this guy's tailbone over here, this shoulder bone over there. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to be gross, but I'm just saying this is a defeated army. And, and so things are scattered all over the place. They're dry. There's no meat or potential left on them. And God says, prophesy to these bones. But what does he say? He says, prophesy to the breath. And say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. He said, you need the Spirit of God to restore this. But what happens when he prophesies to the breath? They lived, stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army, not just bones put together, army, sinew upon sinew, flesh comes back on. This is a picture of a life that's been defeated by sin. Horrible, total destruction. You're not coming back from this one. You're not coming back from this mistake. You're not coming back from this. Oh, you're too far gone. It says prophesy to the breath. Spirit of God breathes upon you. Anything can be restored. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. Doesn't matter how far you've gone away from God. The breath of God can enter into your life and make you a, into a great army for God. I was preaching in Mexico City. I was trying to say this in Spanish. Wasn't it's not going to happen. So, but. We're, I was talking to some of the disciples, and, uh, and I was down there for like 24 days. It was a tremendous trip. Preached for like five churches and preached every day for like 24 days. It was a great trip. But uh, they were talking about how they go on outreach. And as they go on outreach, they give people their testimony. You know, I was, I was a drug addict, and Jesus Christ saved me. I was doing this, and, and God saved me, and he restored my life. And and he said that they have a saying in Mexico City, I don't know if it's everywhere, but, uh, but they would say, you gave your meat to the devil, now you're giving your bones to God. And that, can somebody say it in Spanish for me real quick? Shout it out, Eric. 
That's, that's exactly it right there. <laughs> but what they're saying is they're mocking Christians because, oh, you went out and blew your life. You spent your life on everything, and, you know, and then now you're going to come running to God. And so these, these are sinners mocking Christians. And so I could see how that could maybe mess with somebody's mind. But, you know, that's exactly the scene here in Ezekiel 37. Their bones are dry. You, they, you, they're giving their bones to God. Amen. They, they, their meat has, you know, been defeated in battle. I'm going to close this devotional I read today. It's amazing. I heard this end of the book, and then I read this devotional. A little lengthy, but I'm going to close with this. This is by Charles Spurgeon. He says, It is always the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite. He is constantly trying to make us look at ourselves instead of Christ. He insinuates your sins are too great for pardon. You have no faith. You do not repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You do not have the joy of his children. You have such a wavering hold on Jesus. All these are thoughts about self, and we will never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self. He tells us that we are nothing, but that Christ is everything. Remember, therefore, it is not your hold on Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not even your faith in Christ, although that is the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, do not look so much to your hand, which you are grasping Christ as to Christ. Do not look to your hope, but to Jesus, the source of your hope. Do not look to your faith, but to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. We will never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our deeds, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we are to overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes simply on him. Let his death, his sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercession be fresh upon your mind. When you wake in the morning, look to him. When you lie down at night, look to him. Do not let your hopes or fears come between you and Jesus. Follow hard after him and he will never fail you. I like what he says. It's not about just our hunger. It's not just about our joy. It's not just about our faith. It's about Christ. And he's able to restore from the impossible failure. And he can do so much more than we even anticipate or, or can imagine. Let's bow our heads tonight. Appreciate your attention. This evening, we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a moment before we dismiss this evening. Before we move on to service, I just wonder tonight if there's someone here. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never been born again. Or perhaps you're backslidden this evening and you're away from God. And you don't see a lot of hope for your life. You don't see how you could change. You don't see how you could ever be restored. You don't see the way out of your situation. The devil always wants to make us see the impossibilities instead of 
using the eyes of faith to see Jesus Christ who's able to break through the impossibilities. He's able to save to the uttermost, the Bible says. Doesn't matter how far you are away from God. You could be like that defeated army in the book of Ezekiel. Your bones are very dry. You have no faith. Your life has been destroyed. Or perhaps you're just far away from God tonight. You're not, you're not living for God. You know it. Your, your heart's not right with God. And before we go any further in this service, if that's you tonight, you're not right with God. You're unsaved. You're backslidden. And you need Jesus Christ tonight. Would you slip up your hand? Put it right back. Down. See, that's me. I need to get my heart right with God before I leave this place tonight. Would you pray for me? Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Christian tonight, this, this sermon is just ministers on so many levels. Number one, it ministers on the level of we need the Spirit of God in everything we do. That's why we pray. That's why we seek God. That's why we hunger and thirst after God. We need the Spirit of God. And we can't control, I mean, you know, there was a revival that broke out in Asbury a couple months back, whenever it was, and we think, well, how come God's moving there? You know, I, we don't, the wind blows where it wishes, and we don't know where it's coming or where it's going. We don't understand, you know, was, well, those people better than us, you know? Is this what we, and so, you know, all these questions come to our mind. But we don't have to figure those things out. We don't have to, like, be in Asbury. We don't have to be, you know, somewhere where the Spirit of God's moving in a unique way. We don't have to run there and get it. Jesus, you know, just, hey, just put up your sail. Just hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you shall be filled. Hunger and thirst for God. He says, draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. And we can do that individually. We can do that corporately, and God can help us. Not only that this evening, but the Spirit of God can restore you know, it doesn't matter how far you've been away from God. The devil always torments people, lets them know they've gone too far. You know what? Uh, it's not going to work this time. You know, the people come back to God. I don't feel God. I don't feel God like I used to. It's not like I used to. Hey, don't go by your feelings. Go by what the Spirit says. It says, prophesy to the breath. This destroyed army, dry, full of dry bones, scattered about. And yet, at the same time, they begin to come together and become a mighty army. They didn't just become a, you notice they, they, they don't just become human beings. They become powerhouses for God to do His work, to do His battles, to fight His battles. And so God wants to make you a warrior again. God wants to restore dignity to your life, restore dominion to your life, uh, restore a fighting spirit to your life. He didn't just turn these, this, this defeated army back into people. He turned them back into soldiers. And he can do that for you. Hallelujah. These altars are open. If you'd like to come and pray tonight, let the Lord help you.